Boom! What's up, you sexy animals? Tony Florio coming to you from the stormy Pacific Ocean, San Francisco, California. It's a stormy, rainy day. I'm coming to you from my car and uh, my little studio. It's really cool. And I get to look at the nature happening right in front of my eyes. This is like probably a an awesome movie experience that's in reality and that's that's what we're all about hangry and horny is to kind of get us back in touch in touch with reality with nature um while using technology as i am right now and uh kind of being crazy and real you know i big part of me wants to like edit this and make it all polished but i don't think people want to hear that they want to hear the craziness they want to hear me laugh like ha <laughs> ha so what are we going to be talking about today? A uh, few things on the list. Uh, Magic Flow Bus, uh, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. We have uh, that up, up, upcoming event that's happening where we help people feel better, flow better, and perform better. I got that order wrong too. Flow better, feel better, perform better. Perform better, feel better, flow better. <laughs> it's all all the above there and and uh it's a fun full day of flow activities from learn how to regulate your uh breathing system and your physiology which leads to controlling your state of mind your psychology and uh and that happens through exercise and even yoga good food good company and good community a tribe of people that are into getting the most out of life and living their best uh, on all levels so that event is happening on may 5th cinco de mayo uh 2018 and that will be happening in san francisco california and so each event is curated uh based on the uh, feedback we receive from people um filling out the application on magicflowbus.com so check that out we've got an awesome list of uh, amazing athletes and people of uh, all walks of life and technology in Silicon Valley. Um, and we're trying to do our best to integrate all the tools that we know that are available to this to us as modern human beings, but not be at the mercy of these tools, but learn to sort of master them and be the master of those that domain um so check that out um if any of you are feeling lonely or depressed and have anxiety and and uh you know are looking for a way to connect with people and the real then uh check this out it's gonna be fun we've had two amazing events and you can see the photos on magicflowbus.com this show, Hangry and Horny, is now sponsored by F-Bomb Fat Butters, Nutrition Nut Butters. They are amazing. I love nut butters. And uh, I've had tried different brands, but this is by far my favorite. Um, Kara and Ross uh, started this company 
uh, I think a couple years ago, just out of their own need for being uh, keto, uh, they'd live a lifestyle of ketosis, and they were looking for a way to get high quality, uh, good fats in their body, and so they basically created their own uh, nut butter company called F Bomb. And uh, you can check them out at dropanfbomb.com or fbomb, or excuse me, fatbomb.com. And you'll be able to see a different list of flavors of nut butters that are macadamia based. And they're by far my favorite nut butters on the market. So check out uh, fatbomb.com and use the code word FLOWREAL F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L and that will give you 20% off of your first order. Awesome! So, yep. Thank you, Ross and Kara. They're such amazing, sweet people that really want to make a difference on this planet and uh, they're providing amazing uh, nut butters, uh, high-quality fat for for the go basically so check them out so without further ado my next guest on this episode is dr andy galpin he is a professor of kinesiology at the center for sports performance at cal state fullerton uh andy has a phd in human bioenergetics excuse me bioenergetics and is the founder and director of the Biochemistry and Molecular Exercise Laboratory. Uh, Dr. Galpin has worked with all kinds of different athletes from many different professional sports, um, including amateur and Olympics. Well, there are some pro athletes in the Olympics as well, but um, the point is Dr. Andy has basically worked with all kinds of athletes has used them as test subjects um, with the current uh, scientific understanding of how to um, perform your best. And um, Andy's really been pivotal with uh, providing uh, incredible research on muscle physiology and basically debunking all that bro science that's out there in regards to exercise, fitness, uh, nutrition, uh, so forth. So it's been such an honor to uh, have this conversation with Andy in his office at Cal State Fullerton. He uh, gave me a tour uh, throughout the facility, which brought me back to my days of um, getting my kinesiology degree from San Diego State. So being back in the labs and seeing all those cool technologies from uh you know muscle biopsies and vo2 maxes um and all these other really cool devices that help basically put data to the uh, human body in action so without further ado please check out this episode with dr andy galpin and thank you guys for listening enjoy okay we're on what's up dr andy galpin what's up buddy <laughs> welcome to hangry and horny 
Thanks for coming here. Welcome to Cal State Fullerton, man. Hey, thanks for inviting welcome me. Welcome to my office. Hey, man. It's really cool. What a cool facility. Uh, gave me a tour earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just brought me back to my days when I went to San Diego State, kinesiology department, and just seeing all the different uh, lab uh, stuff, so to speak, like in terms of like muscle biopsies, yeah, VO two max machine, force plates, which I don't even think we had that back in two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, uh, it's not extremely common in exercise physiology labs, but uh, we do human performance, so we have it all. That's cool, man. So um, you've been here for you said seven years now. Yeah, seven years. Okay, yeah. so just run us on your journey. Like, how did you become a doctor of kinesiology? Um, was it like performance? Yeah, sort of. Uh, I'll give you the five second version. Okay, <laughs> and then we can go back as much detail as you want. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, man, your world. You tell me. Cool. Um, so I got my. Undergraduate degree uh, in exercise science, you know, same stuff. And then I got a, a master's degree in human movement sciences, but it's the same shit, you know, basically. Uh, yeah. And then I got a PhD in what's called human bioenergetics. Fancy way of saying muscle physiology, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and Even then got nervous the system. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Re- really, it's uh, my PhD was really specific to muscles. Specific muscle. to muscles, okay. Yeah, but it's uh, we always laugh. I'm like, I'm a muscle guy, not a nerve guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but that that's the the quick version of it. So, um, I mean, along the way, I was a competitive athlete. I played college football. I played everything growing up. Uh, sports or well, my life. What similar. position did you play in football? I played safety in college. Oh my goodness, man! Yeah. Wow. So, so you're going in there smacking. Yeah, man. Uh, we were pretty fortunate. We won a national championship my junior year and won a lot of games. So uh, it was fun. It was good. You good won experience. a national championship. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It was pretty awesome. So it was a, f- a fun, fun feeling. Um, and then along the way, man, I, st- I, I started competing in Olympic weightlifting, um, picked up uh, jiu-jitsu and boxing and MMA and, and did all that stuff. So I've always been a sportsman at some level. I still love it. So... You know, getting my job here, I was like, I want to do something that's in sports, and I want to work with athletes still. So, I have the ability to to work with athletes sometimes, do research, teach classes. It's a perfect job for me, man. I get to do a little bit of everything. So. Yeah, it's pretty neat because uh, you actually look really young too. So, you know, it's pretty yeah, yeah. cool to see you like hanging out with like the uh, gray hairs. And, yeah, uh, you know, like man, I get that. Damn near every damn time I do a podcast or I do an interview or something, that's one of the first comments I always get. I was like, how old <laughs> yeah. are you? Like, yeah, so um, I didn't mess around. Like, I went straight through. I was in college for 10 years, um, but I went straight through, and uh, I've always been fortunate to be a bit of an overachiever, I guess. Um, not because of talent, not because of intelligence, which we could go down that, that hole if you want to. I don't really have, a, uh, unbeknownst to what my degrees on my wall and, and some of the accomplishments I've had, um, I'm not the traditional academic like that. So, but I've just gotten here by passion yeah. and outworking and doing the things that no one else wanted to do. Uh, and so when people, people ask me all the time, you know, how did you get there? What are your tips? How did you get the breaks? And how did you get a Rogan? All these things. I'm like, I'm, I just outworked people. I just out hustled. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, have I mean, a, like playing football, your yeah. your size as well. I mean, yeah, I'm you know, not the like biggest I, guy. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> playing safety. I yep. would have thought maybe running back or something. Or yeah, I mean, uh, part of that's where I grew up too, man. Like I grew up in a, in a city, and I was very fortunate. My parents, uh, my family, my siblings, 
everyone I grew up with, their parents, their cousins, my football coaches, that was just the culture where I grew up, man. I grew up in a logging town where you worked, and it just it was not acceptable to not get something done because you didn't want to work hard enough. And it wasn't acceptable to not feed the animals because you were tired. Those were just not acceptable things. If you couldn't feed your family and, and you chose to take a day off, like these are just not acceptable. So I just grew up like that. Of, of You could lose and you could not be the smartest and all those things were fine, but you just couldn't do it because you were being lazy. Right. Like, that was never acceptable. Were you in a and farm or something? Or? Not a farm per se. Yeah. Um, small, small Just a small community. town. I mean, okay. we had five acres and... Yeah. You know, my, my grandparents had a couple of cows and stuff, and but it, it, people around a lot of haying and, and stuff, and so a lot so of times had, for like, jobs. Examples in an environment, yeah. and then everybody's pulling their weight. Exactly, and we had you know a little bit. We had horses and and dogs and things like that, and so in the morning you had to go feed the horses before to go to school and other stuff, and that just bleeds on to. I mean, everybody I knew worked, even when they're like thirteen, fourteen. Like you're trying to get summer jobs, I'll, I'll come clean your shit out of your out of your garage. Like, what do you want me to do? And you're, and you're went around to all the neighbors trying to find work and whatever it is. Like, I'll I'll clean out your fields. I'll move the rocks. What can I do? And that was just what people did because it was like, oh, you want money? You want to go do things? We got to go work for it. Okay, great. And so that was we were just really fortunate to be in a culture where that was the norm. And so you just didn't grow up with anything different. There was very little entitlement where I grew up. And I didn't notice that. Until I started moving and started living in across the world in different places across the country, and I realized now even older, I think back, I'm like, man, I was really fortunate, dude. Yeah, like really fortunate to be because that's hard. But when you grew up like that, I don't, didn't know anything different. Yeah, that's all you really know. Yeah. So, but did you get uh, like almost distracted when you went to these other places and saw people like? Not really, man. Because my eyes were always on the bigger prize. Okay. You know, I was pretty good about being. Uh, I was here for a purpose, right? So I went to this university to get this two-year degree, uh, and I, that's what I was there for. And, of course, I had fun and messed around and hung out with friends and chased girls and all that stuff plenty. And, the, you know, on the way, I wasn't just super focused and all the time. Yeah, but, like but a I machine was, or a robot or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we still played sports and wanted to compete in things and met people. But my focus was always, you know, let's work really, 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 really hard early in your life. So then you can do as much as you want to do um, when, when you're 30. Like that, that was sort of the goal is like, let's get into a place. Let's work hard through your 20s and stay focused to give yourself the freedom to do then whatever you want for the next 70 years of your life. And then, so I was pretty fortunate uh, just to be able to do that. So I don't really have too much problem with distraction. What would you say someone that didn't have that environment, like how they could like, shift their mindset so that yeah. they would, on the short term, you know, basically not want instant gratification and work for that long-term accomplishment? Well, the one thing I'll say, man, is the, the, about the only thing on this world I'm certain of is there's not a one path. So I don't think you have to be raised like I was or have to have anything... There's a lot of downsides to what I grew up with, too. And there's a lot of things I'm not good at and skill sets I don't have. That happens to be one that I've used in my favor. But to any people who are like, okay, that's not really who I am, don't don't judge yourself. Don't, like that's, that's okay. And you can get to wherever you want to get to a thousand different ways. That's just the way I used to get there. So my tip is, if you really care about something, you get there your way. Like, don't do it to do my way if, I'm, if this isn't you. Like, you do your way. And whatever that means to you, we can all get to where we want to get to if we want to get somewhere. But, but don't try to be somebody you're not. And that all, to me, boils down to responsibility. So if you accept responsibility that if something's not happening in your life or something's not going wrong, 
just accept that that's your fault and then do something about it. Do whatever you can do with the things you can do about it. And the things you can't do things about, keep trying or do other things you can do. And I think the more that you can accept that responsibility, uh, the freer you get from that. Because now you don't feel the suppression. Like, I don't really care about pressure or workload when it's my choosing. But that same exact workload or pressure, if somebody else is putting that on me, now all of a sudden I care and I feel trapped and I feel anxious and all that stuff, right? So if you just internalize that and say, no, all these things are my fault, therefore I have the freedom and the ability. So instead of, don't, but uh, maybe, I'm going kind of quick. Let me, let me, I want to be really clear about something here. Yay. When I say accept those responsibility, don't do it from a place of sadness and hurt or blame. It's my fault. I'm so stupid. Like, don't, don't, don't punish yourself when you accept that. Mm. Accept that, that responsibility from a place of love and excitement. So, yes, you know what? I realize it's, it's my fault. This means I have the power to change it. Because it was my fault, that means I have the power to fix. And I want that to be the emotion that comes out of it. If you're a person that has a hard time with that, then don't do this, don't do this approach. Because I, I don't want people to be in a position where they're blaming themselves more, and that hurts on their depression, that hurts on their anxiety, or feeds more into those things. This works for me. Because when I blame myself for things, that motivates me. That excites, that excites me. That means I know I can fix it just because all i got to do is work harder. And that's something I, I like. And I don't like to work hard, but like, this is what, I feel comfortable in that area. Were there a time where like, you were broken or hit rock bottom at some point of your journey where it kind of took you by surprise? Because you sound like somebody that... It was like a go-getter. You took responsibility early on. You get mm-hmm. excited. But was there any point where it was the other way? Where you- Well, I mean, I got thrown out of college. So I played college football, but I get kicked off the team and thrown out of college. Uh, I was on ESPN. I was on the news everywhere across the country. Um, like, that was pretty awful. I'm you got thrown lie. out of college? Yeah, I got thrown out. Uh, I got thrown off the team my senior year after, like, one game. Um, we had because- a... We okay. had a party. Okay. Uh, and and I, I didn't really um I didn't really party a ton in college. Uh we I never hosted parties. I was not a big center I was not the popular guy on campus, put it that way. And we just happened to have one party one time, which we never did. And for whatever reason, we usually if we had people over, there was like three people would show up. The half the damn school showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> and unlike every party that happens every Friday and Saturday in colleges, okay, if the cops come, they break it up, they go home, like, whatever. And for five years, that's that's what happened every time. And this day, they decided to just arrest everybody. And because they arrested was, everybody? All the minors and, and all that. They gave minor possessions, and they gave us oh. uh, tickets. I shouldn't have said arrested, but... Yeah. Tickets. Um, they gave us uh, providing the minors alcohol or... Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, Distributing or you didn't know, like you're not whatever, like, right? Like carding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because no bouncers. <laughs> everybody there basically in college is over 21. So yeah. I'm like, there's a few freshmen or something, but you're not really trying to hang out with freshmen too much as a senior, anyways, in college. Or and we had a couple of kegs, so they had to, to be able to give us a bigger charges, not just like giving them six pack. We were distributing with the, what like all these. I don't even remember. So they red flagged you for everything. They just hammered us for everything. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm like, okay. The one time. And I don't know why that, that, happen, that even happens every weekend on yeah. every college campus. But for whatever reason, the local paper picked it up. And then the state paper picked it up. And then the New York Times picked it up. And then ESPN picked it up. And I'm wow. like, what? Like, college party? This is headline news on fucking ESPN? What? Like, what are you talking about? I, I'm, I've still to this day never seen it happen again. 
I don't know why, but because of that, they came down there like, all right, man, like you're gone. You're off the team. I only had one credit hour, which was football. And so I was like, okay, just give me my degree at least. Cause I'm not here. And they're like, fine, but you're gone. You're off, you know, everything. So like, that wasn't fun. Yes. Uh, but so I, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say rock bottom. I mean, I have a lot of friends that have been to what yeah. I really call rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, homeless for five years, all kinds. I mean, the real stuff with kids, things like that. So I would say, man, that n- nothing has been even remotely close to rock bottom like that. I've generally been pretty good at being able to have decent perspective. Um, not always. I'm better now, but at least even then I was still able to say, you got a degree. Like your whole life and your ho- your whole life to this point and your dream was to play football at this university. And now that's been taken away from you. But you should have had the party. I, I-, I did that. Like, And I thought it was unfair and all those things, but the other part of my brain went, you had a fucking party. Like, how how can you complain about this? And it sucked and it broke my heart and I still am not recovered from that. Like, I still think about that. I'll have dreams about it because that was, again, my life dream to play and play at that place. But that was my fault. So, like, I, I don't really know how you get... I hate when people complain about things that, like, well, you'd play, you decided to play the game. You lost. You don't get to bitch now. Like, you just don't get to bitch about it. Don't play. So Yeah, so what do you do from here? You got to yeah. go. Like, you just don't have an option. You got to keep moving forward. And, uh, like, that's, that's, that's really it. And so I just decided, like, is... I have really good perspective. Um, a friend of mine, Doug Larson, from Barbell Shrugged and these guys, his mentor growing up, if you bring this down so I can see your lip. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, um, I don't have my hearing aid because my hearing aid blew up uh, yeah. a couple of days ago. So we're we're in the cage, really yeah, close. Yeah. <laughs> I need closer. Um, his mentor would always say things just in passing, like, "If this is the worst thing that happens in my life, I've had a pretty good life." Yeah, and so I just it's like say things whenever things go shitty. I ask my okay, like if the worst thing that happens in your life is you got kicked off of a football team in college, and I live ninety more years of an amazing life. I'm probably not going to remember or care. Yeah. So at the time, it's hard to hear and it's hard to feel. But I just was like, okay, if this is the worst thing that happens to me, okay, like we're all going to catch some bad, something bad. Yeah. We're all going to catch something bad. Yeah. And if that's my bad, I'll take that win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll take that win all day. Yeah. So. I mean, is there a certain part that like laughs about like oh, yeah. all that stuff? And, oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it didn't take that long where I was just like, I mean, again, part, part of me, like I can consciously, logically be like, whatever. Uh, but there's still part of me, I'm like, oh, man, I really, that sucked. But, you know. Yeah, so you're, you're a pretty, like, granular guy. Um, but being an athlete, like, one of the things is, like, hitting these, like, peak states, what I call flow. Sure. So um, now now where where does it start to shift for you in terms of, like, the sort of, like, like what is that? Um, do you have, like, any kind of religious background, like, growing up in a small community? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you make that all, like, intersect? No, I mean, most of it is pretty secular for the most part. I would say if you ask the community I grew up in, 97% would say they're Christian, but 96% don't practice, like, anything. Uh, there's not, I don't even know if there's a church really that is very much. So, um, no, I mean, pretty on, like, I, I work, my brain works very logically. So I have a hard time. I hate, I hate things for sentiment. I hate things for tradition. 
I hate things for the sake of, I'm always like, well, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Why? Like, yeah. why are we doing that? Does that make sense? So you no, question like, everything. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. We don't do it. And which makes me difficult to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Especially on the home front. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot yeah, of things. I can imagine way. growing up, your parents are like, geez. <laughs> well, my, my dad's really pragmatic like that too, though. Yeah. So my dad's like, I don't give a shit what I look like in terms of, you know, I don't care about clothing and I don't care. Like that shit doesn't matter. It's function, function, function over style. So I'm generally like that too, which is just like, if this doesn't have a real purpose, why am I doing that? So just because this is what you do, that's the worst logic ever, right? Tradition makes no sense to me. Uh, tradition, when the sake that people have tried that a bunch before and they've figured out this is a better idea, that makes sense for me. But yeah. tradition of like, no, you wear this and you don't match this color with that color. Like, what? That fuck, no, like that, that, fuck you. Like, I hate that. <laughs> so um, those things, like none of that made sense to me. So that didn't call to me at all. Sports made sense. Um, things where you get lost in self. That makes sense to me. And so early on, although I wasn't exposed to anything really spiritual, um, certainly most people were, again, religious Christian, but I wasn't involved in that stuff at all. What made sense, though, was things like working construction for my dad and working out in the farms or working with the animals where if you are not paying attention and a horse kicks you in the head, it's <laughs> like game over, right? If you're trying to build a road and there's a, a backhoe going behind you and a, a dome truck flying beside you and then traffic's going by, if you're not totally on, like this is literally death. And this happened several times where I got things would go wrong and you get knocked over by a backhoe or you get flipped over by something and you realize quickly, like, oh shit, you, like you're on. Sports are the same way for me. So when you talk about flow state, it's really that loss of self. Right. And, and things are happening. I found that in sports. I still find that in work constantly. Um, writing in particularly, uh, in particular, sorry. Uh, you'll see I have two monitors back behind me. Yep. I got, I'll have papers going and I get lost in flow every day, multiple times a day, uh, for the most part. And that's just because, but that only happens when I minimize distraction. You have to minimize distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have your phone going. At least I can't. I can't have music going. I, I'm like, things out, and I, I need to dive deep into something. Mm-hmm. And you'll find amazing truth in those things. You'll, you'll, you won't believe what you'll find there. And there's a ton of other ways to do it, but that's, that's how I get into those things. Exercise, training really, really hard can do that for me. Um, what was the first time that you experienced it? Can you remember? Yeah, actually, I can very vividly. This is crazy, because I remember two instances when I was a kid, when I was 12 years old. And then I remember being 24 years old, probably, taking a graduate class in sports psychology and then bringing up this guy named Chicks and Mihai. Oh, yeah. And learning that it's not called in the zone, it's called flow. And then learning what this stuff was 10 or 12 years ago and being like, oh, that's what that was. Mm. So the first time I was 12 years old, uh, and I grew up in a small town. And so we played uh, Little League Baseball. Right, and our little district came together for our all-star team, and our all-star our district always got crushed because all the bigger towns around just hammered us. And we had uh, my twelve year, I think twelve years old. We lost the first game of the tournament, but it was double elimination, so we went to the oh, bottom. Okay. And then we beat another team, and then we our second game we played the team that we played the first game, and they had beat us by ten runs, and then we beat them, and then we went on to win nine straight games in that tournament. And beat all the big ones and, and win our district. Wow. And it's the first time in, in I don't even know how long we'd won district. So we went to the state tournament, which was very rare, and we were all terrified. You know? And uh, we played the, the second game we were playing in, 
we were losing uh, double elimination, and I was like, man, we're already here. I don't want to lose. Like, I want to at least win one game. We were down by maybe seven runs or something, and I came up, and the bases were loaded. The inning. Prob- uh, let's see. We probably played six innings then, so this was probably the fourth inning. Okay. Like, it was late, uh, and it just we were probably only had scored a run or two, and we were, but we were down a handful, like on the brink of losing the 10-run rule. And I came up to bat, and I remember the bases were loaded, and the guy threw the ball, and I just remember watching the ball almost rotate every single rotation, and I remember thinking, like oh, that's Looney a brand Tunes new... style. Crazy. Just yeah. like a cartoon, and I hit a home run, grand slam, Woo! and I was just like, what the hell was that? I remember sitting there going, like, what the hell was that? I know what the ball looked like, and the kids ran back and gave me the home run ball, and I'm like, no, that wasn't it. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, it's that one right there. And it's two new, two brand new balls, basically. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's that one right there. Yeah. And you I saw remember, the marking on it. I remember this kid had a, what happened was this kid had a smirk on his face right before he threw the bat. And I was thinking, you know, in, in Little League, when you're 12, you basically throw fastballs. Yeah. And so I remember thinking like, this guy either, he's, he's joking up there. And I was so serious and I was so ready. And he's joking around there. And whatever reason, that just put me... Mm. And I was like, okay, here we go. Like, I just I so some sort of triggered something, and yeah. and that happened multiple times um, when I was twelve, thirteen, sort of things. But that was the very first time first I'll never time. forget that. And I was like, holy crap! So that was awesome. I'll, I'll probably never forget that. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So, um, what what is it that you notice now? Um, now that you had like multiple experiences with yeah. flow and different contexts, and um, what are some of the like granule things that you notice um signal signs um yeah i'm not gonna put any words in your mouth but uh, no that, that's a really good question um well I, you know i'm just going back i think again the ways to get in are a little bit different than the signs uh the signs are the same i think that everyone says where it's like you wake up and oh shit like two hours just went by okay uh, time going really, really, really fast, or um, not noticing things that you all the, like you you realize you had to pee five minutes ago, and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, forty five minutes went by. What happened? Like I had to really pee bad, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. how did I forget about that for forty five minutes? Or whatever else is going on, um, you realize you're supposed to go do something, and the clock by. Those are the big things, and that loss of self again, where I no longer feel like I'm doing the work. Like I'm just the work. That's happening. It's not Andy doing work. It's just work is happening. Those are, what, but usually it's you don't. I don't really necessarily know until it's post hoc. Now I'm like, oh shit, that just happened. As opposed to I'm not like, okay, here I go. You can sort of feel it going in where you're like, oh yeah, I'm like, like this is the spot I need to be in, and this thing's kind of fade away. Whatever's going on, the right. dog in the background barking, and that annoying car alarm going, whatever. You're just like whatever, and that stuff kind of fades away. And that's when I'm like, okay, boom, phone is off. Like, you're here, go. Like, just cancel, turn the email thing off, like, giddy up, like, get into it. Uh, and that often means you'll skip deadlines or you'll be late or something, but sometimes that's a worth risk because, like my friend Chris Moore, that's his book up there, uh, he used to always say, man, ride the wave. If you're out there for, for a paddle wave, yeah. and, the ride show, and the wave shows up, dude, just go. Just go, yeah. And you'll, let it you'll miss you. a couple, but let, let it go, man. Yeah. And, and I think it's, if you have that kind of freedom in your life, it's a very good strategy. You'll be so much more productive that way. 
That's cool. So you've obviously had, uh, obviously had um, time speed up. Yeah. We had a time slow down moment with the oh, baseball. Yeah. yeah you can sure. see like the rotation. Yeah. Um, so how are you like, um, are you, are you talking about this? Like when we're getting into athletics and like yeah. coaching or, you know, some of the people that you work with, um, obviously that is the, the end state we want to get people in like for performance and mm-hmm. even for health um obviously you have like a certain like uh way of like um individualizing yeah. like talking to the athlete hearing stories hearing stuff from their coaches um so h- how are you able to help them get to that place so that's really not much my job uh, okay. You know, I do the performance, the nutrition, all that stuff. We have right below me, we have two of the best sports psychologists in the planet. Um, Tracy Statler, who's been the head of USA Track and Field uh, down at Rio, all this stuff for a long okay. time. Um, and Lenny Wiersma. So Lenny is uh, the head of USA Swimming, sports psychology, also at UCLA, sports psychology. Um, and he has done a, Lenny's actually done a ton with big wave surfers. Uh, he's done a ton of research with mountain huge. He's actually on sabbatical right now looking at those people that helicopter in. Oh yeah. Snowboard yeah. down and stuff. Ultra marathoners going through that stuff. And he works, him and I work with a lot of the athletes together. Okay. So almost every time I work with a new athlete, if I feel like they need it, I'll ask him if he's got availability and then I'll put them in contact. And he is tremendous at all that stuff. And so then I'll work with Lenny. And say what? How do I need to talk to Tony? What are the things that he likes? What are the things he doesn't like? How I need I know what information I need to get to him with his food or his training, but how are things that I can do? What are things I can do that help him? And then Lenny will let me know how to talk to you, or you know he likes because some people like real quiet mm-hmm. before a performance. Some people like the opposite. Some people like to be motivated. Some people like tough like all these different things. And Lenny can really help me with those types of things, or can tell me, hey, uh, five minutes before the fight. Uh, Tony's going to do this breathing drill or whatever. Don't inter- or, or this or, or this is a point. So I really let Lenny help me gear what happens with the athlete from that perspective because that this is what he does for a living. He's very, very, very good at that. So. Yeah. So there, there's like a point. A couple of points that see is uh, one is um, you know you have somebody that you're working with, so you're not. Um, you understand where your level of expertise yeah. is and you're like this is where i'm at and then you're obviously working as a team to help somebody um and then secondly there's this like individuality that's happening because everybody wants like a one size fit all and you know going into like the research like a lot of that stuff also gets sensational uh there's sensationalized stuff just like clickbait clickbait headings yeah. and all that yeah. stuff so um you're going in individually and you're like that's what i really love about you because you're you're treating the person as n equals one yeah always yep i mean the the reason i do that is because i've had the fortunate ability i mean you can see some of these on the wall to work with some athletes that have world titles on the line and in really really big things on the line when they compete and i think of this as some poor girl from Indiana or some guy from Waco, Texas or some guy from Denver grew up and nobody is in a sport with nothing their whole life. They got a chance to, to compete in the Olympics 
And all of that can be screwed up by me. And that's a tremendous pressure you have on. And when, when you think of it that way, I could never live with myself if I made an athlete ruin their life with an Olympic medal that they'll never have that chance again because I wanted to protect my ego and I wanted them to do my system so that afterwards they would make an Instagram post about me and how it was all because of my system. And not to saying everyone does that, but that's, that's the fear behind it. So I wish I had more um, like better, better rationale for it and, and some great learning lesson, but it's, I'm, I'm terrified to screw them up. And I'm going like, okay, there's no way I can approach one athlete like the other athlete, so I'm going to do whatever I can to fix them. I don't give a shit if that's my system or another system. I've done many times I've reached out to other people um, in the area and said, like, this is going on. What do you think? People that don't have PhDs, um, people that have no degree in the field or whatever and just gotten as much information. So I really try to help the person because they just got a lot on the line, man. And especially in the combat sports, it's not only is it losing on the line, but you got your chance to get your head kicked in, literally. Or like you're going to have your jaw broken, which could screw with you the rest of your life or a huge TBI. And if any of that falls on me because I did something wrong to protect my ego, like that, that is so childish and small. Yep. So I, I want to do my best on them. Um, the other thing is I work with athletes on a one-on-one level, not for a living though. I, I have a job, I have research and all this stuff. And so... I only want to work with them in a situation where I think I can help them. But I don't have to put 35,000 students or I don't have to put 30,000 athletes through my system to try to pay the bills, to keep the lights on. And some people have to do that. So I have a luxury that, like, again, to me, this is the optimal situation. I get to work with one or two athletes at a time, see them fit, move on to the next one, and really try to help them and not have to worry about that as my primary way to pay my bills. So um, I love it. That's cool. So um, from that aspect, like, have you had um, any experiences where it, it didn't work yeah. out? Like, yeah. Sure, man. Like, you're, you, you can't pat a thousand. Uh, we've, we've definitely had plenty of uh, everyone's made weight that I've worked with. We've had all these things, but there have been weight cuts that have not gone as well as we thought. Rehydration things that have not gone as well as, as we thought, uh, where you, you you take a guess, and it's an educated guess, and you're using everybody, but you're still guessing at the end of the day. And I've learned some things um, because of those, but it's not all going to go perfect. Uh, the crappy part about like with MMA specifically is you don't always, you don't always know why. Um, I've had one of my athletes who's lost a couple of UFC fights in a row that he frankly had no business losing, and I'm like, okay, like I don't know what to do, and. Um, yeah, I've gotten called out in big platforms on it sometimes. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't know. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but other than we tried and, uh, and just sometimes it just doesn't work out. So it's never going to come pretty like There's that. There's so many it's like variables game, man. that are going on in like MMA, yeah. especially, yep. um, you know, you can have like a judge rule a certain way. Um, you know, that's what happened is he's lost actually two split decisions. I thought he won, but still he underperformed either way. Okay. Because he should have clearly won the fights, probably. So, but like Brian McKenzie always says, man, it's the fail game. Like, you're, it's, you're, this is really more failure than anything else. And it's a fail game. So, that's part of it, man. Yeah. And you have that ability from your background to be kind of like dust yourself off and then like just move on and say, like, how can we improve next time? Yeah. And I think what the big key with, with athletes too is every time that's happened, um, that's my fault. 
and, and you, a lot of people are scared to say that to their athlete because they feel like if you admit that you don't know something or that you screwed something up, they will, the, the athlete will blame you. They'll maybe boast, pass, bash you on social media. They'll fire you, all these things. Every time I've screwed up and told an athlete, that's never happened. Uh, in fact, almost always it's drawn us closer because they understand now that I have their best interests in mind and yeah. not mine. And I will tell them, I want to be the first one to tell them, oh, this is my fault. Don't worry. Uh, and if anything, I want them to let them know it's not their fault. And so they can go, okay, great. And also, if, if I screwed something up for an athlete and they lost because of it, I should be fired. Yeah. Like at some point, you have to accept responsibility for your actions. Yeah. You didn't do the job. That athlete needs to have somebody else. And that paycheck needs to go to somebody else. Or you need to remedy the situation, or you need to bring, you need to take the paycheck they're giving you, and then pay somebody else to to fix what you screwed up or whatever happens to be. Like this is, you have to accept the responsibility, especially when there's money on the line and it's their career. So I, I don't know, um, it, it sucks, but generally it works out well if you just tell them like this is what I think happened. I think you know this is my fault. Uh, we should have done this differently, but I screwed that one up. They're almost always like, oh, okay, awesome, man. Like, all right, well, at least we got, at least we know what to do next time. Yeah. So. That's the best way you can approach it. You have to just keep going. So I got two things like splitting off. They're sure. going opposite directions. So one is like um, what's going on with like the current um, – everybody wants to blame the millennials, oh, so sure. to speak, for like taking responsibility and yeah. like, or they didn't have a certain background or upbringing or their parents were helicopter parents. Yeah. So that's the one t- uh, thing on my mind. Another one is like um, I want to make sure that we cover like what is the difference between like optimal – Oh. Or optimizing an adaptation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your show, man. You tell me. Yeah. So let's go back to the uh, taking responsibility okay. and the millennials, helicopter parenting. Yeah. I mean, I can't really speak on those things. I'm, I don't have an expertise uh, too much in those areas uh, other than I hear those things, but a lot of me is in the sense of uh, people are people. I'm, you know, this happens every generation. Um, you could argue. In theory, this generation might revolt back against technology because generations tend to revolt back on what their parents got into, right? So they don't like to do that because it's not cool anymore. Well, this is a generation of cool technology. Maybe the next generation will be the anti-technology. Right. Maybe this is a good thing for us. Obviously, you know my position on that. Yeah, right? yeah. But I don't know. Like, I, I guess so. I, I, I just think it's not, it's not that they last thing that they're just, just different, right? The mode is different. This is a whole new way of human existence that we've never messed with before. So I don't blame the kids now. Um, I think, of course, I, most of us would do a lot better if we accepted way more responsibility. I think a lot of our culture has ruined that and taken that from people. But that doesn't mean they can't take it back. Um, that's the beauty of, of consciousness. Mm-hmm. We get to make our own decisions um, with those things. So, yeah, I, I don't like I don't like ragging on the peop- youngsters. Uh, you know, I teach I teach kids, right? Yeah. You, if you rag on them, tell them how bad they are or shitty are they at things, that doesn't make them want to change. So I don't, I don't know if that message helps them at all to tell them how irresponsible they are and lazy they are. I mean, the one thing I always joke about all the time is a few years ago, if uh, I put something up on social media or if I mentioned something in a talk and said, oh, there was a study that showed this or whatever, and I gave somebody something that they could Google, as soon as Google came on board, that ability was amazing, right? Everyone's like, great, now I can Google and go find that information. 
that lasted like three years. And now my, my students and the people on my social media are so quick to, they won't, they're so lazy, they won't take the time to even Google the title. If I make a post about some new physiology thing and I almost always post the title of the article in the post and then probably also in the text, I will still get 100 comments and direct messages like, hey, bro, will you send me the link? <laughs> and I'm like, you're so fucking lazy. You won't even type that thing in. Yeah. The whole, like three years ago, the ability to type something into Google was the greatest tool ever. And now mm-hmm. you won't even Google something because you want a direct link. Yeah. That part is extremely frustrating. And I used to get frustrated with my students for that. But I have to realize, again, it's not their fault because they grew up, people that are 15 grew up always having a direct link. There's always been a link in bio for them to click on. So they never, ever had to do that. It's not their fault, though. So now I can I really yell at them for not doing something that they never had to do. Yeah. My parents probably yelled at me for something I didn't do that they had to do when growing right, up right. or something. So like, I don't think that helps. When you yell at kids like that, and when I blame them in my classroom, it doesn't go anywhere. I, we have to make it more of a positive, I mean, more of an empowerment thing. Rather than a complain and a bitch and yell at them because that doesn't help them move forward. Right, right. So. But there's context too, right? Yeah. Someone's like being a, an ass. Yeah. So you got to raise your voice and like put your foot down sometimes. Yeah. Like, or in our case, in the case of social media, you just ignore. And I'm not going to respond to those. I will never respond to somebody who sends me a direct message telling, asking for a link for a study on something like that. Like, I'm just not going to, it's not worth any of our emotional energy. It's not worth that time. It's like, okay, great. If you don't have the energy, to Google the title, you don't care of that much. And so then right. you're going to move on to the next post and great. And so I'm not going to waste my time on that. And so that's how I'll put my foot down is just saying like, I'm not going to encourage that behavior and I'm not going to be the person that you can always send a message to, to get a link to something. Uh, and if you just stop responding to those things, you don't get those responses anymore. Yeah. There's something that's uh, beautiful about earning something or working and putting effort towards something and not just being told to answer and getting that little like, because that's the thing that I see with the information technologies. Yeah. Everybody's getting that like dopamine hit, like yeah. to just learn something new and these like insights. But it's just information that's there's nothing after that. There's it's not getting your hands dirty. Information is not wisdom. Yeah, I mean we talk about that in the book, right? Data is not wisdom. Information is not wisdom. Uh, this is the major problem with the information age, right? And this is a major problem that we're being sold all the times when we're marketed to. Like, this is the, the book Unplugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah. I forgot to plug my own book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we're, we're being marketed that the more information is a good thing. And I have completely changed how I teach all of my classes. In fact, I show this at the very beginning at a lot of my classes. Uh, you don't need me to give you information. You don't need to go to a college professor to get information about exercise, nutrition, health, movement, programming. That's the last thing you need. That information is everywhere, and there's mm-hmm. way too much of it. So then you start to question, well, then what's the point of a college professor? It's that next thing. It's let's show you how to take information into wisdom, into insight, into, <clears throat> excuse me, into action. That's really what we're getting at. Actualization. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. That's yeah. really what my job is. And honestly, I would even boil it back. In fact, it's um, – oh, my sticky, mo- my sticky note fell. Oh, I usually yeah. have a sticky note right over there. It just says inspire. And I remind myself when I'm making my lectures and I'm making my class material, the only thing I really should be trying to do is inspire my kids. Because if they want information, if they're inspired, they'll go find the information. 
that they need, right? But if I give them information and they're not inspired, nothing happens. So all I really try to do, and that means I've cut a lot of material out of my classes and a lot of the way I teach, I, re- I want them to walk out of class every day invigorated, energetic, inspired, super curious. Mm-hmm. And if I do that, they'll go look up action potentials and how muscle contracts more and more and more. And I, and I have to give them some information because you have to have enough information to have a quality, good conversation, right? Yeah. We can't ask good questions without some knowledge. Right. But I don't want to just knowledge dump them either. Yeah. So I agree with you that, that, that that's the real skill set that the kids now need to develop is simply getting them curious. Constantly asking why, 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 why. And being excited, being loving to learn, loving to dive deep in these things, that's all we really need to get through to these kids. And that's how we're going to get through the information age is just that creativity, that excitement, that inspiration. Yeah, so I love about uh, what you're talking about, your uh, upbringing and in some ways, like it's inspiration, motivation, and basically um, it, it made you go out there and like apply these things, you know, like you had these different outlets to um, it's almost like people have become really handicapped with understanding this concept of self and expression. Like the way I see it is like, there's only you and you can't do it like anybody else. No one can do it like you. And in some ways, if you can like see yourself being like an artist yeah. that's going up there, like being creative, discovering things, trying something new that didn't work, but like people just like give up too easily. I've done that too. Um, but I've gotten to this place now where it's like, it's exciting to me where I can reframe like sort of like a failure or it didn't work out this time. Like, what can I learn and then apply it next time? Let's get back into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah I mean, I think that learning the love to fail is so important. Um, I, this is one of the things I've learned from the ice a ton. Oh, yeah. And I was trying to explain this to my kids after class the other day. Because I had Cody Burkhart on. Uh, Cody is uh, used to work with Brian McKenzie a lot. He works for NASA. He's a project director for a lot of their physiology and performance stuff. And he's an engineer, a mechanical engineer by trade, but also a high-level athlete and has coached a lot of athletes. So he's perfect in his position. And we were having this discussion about how he gets in the ice almost every night, then takes a warms up, and then takes a shower, and basically dictates all these crazy thoughts that he has in the shower, right? And so my kids afterwards sort of like, they started asking me like, what's the deal with the ice? And the way that I like to describe it is it's the best tool I have found to help you compartmentalize what you actually are feeling from what you think you're feeling. And when you do that, failure becomes so incredibly easy because you no longer attach failure to self-worth. You, in our case, I'll give you an example from my world, which is, Submitting a, you do a study and you try to get it published. You submit it to a journal and then some experts that you don't know decide if it gets to be accepted or rejected or whatever. And a lot of times you get a lot of really nasty comments back. And if you don't learn to handle that rejection in a way that is good for you emotionally, because you spend years, in this case, uh, some of our recent stuff, I spent three, four years. And then you submit it and somebody says, no, this is terrible. and gives you a whole three or four pages about how awful it is. 
like that hurts. That's really hard to do emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, fuck. It, it, yeah. it puts you in a major funk, man. When you apply Especially for you invested like so much energy so much and into time. It, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you said, like you dive hard into something. It's your baby. It feels so good to submit it. And then three weeks later, they come back and just shit all over it. <laughs> yeah. And you don't get to say anything. Like you don't get to argue back. You're just like done, right? If you don't learn to deal with that emotion, it, it, I mean, it zaps it. You'll go home. Your wife will know. Like it, your students will know. You'll be an ass in class. Like you're just like shit. It sucks, especially when my job is in the line. I'm like it's just a lot. But if you can learn to say, okay, that wasn't Andy failing. Um, you know what? They were probably right. No, they are right. Right? They are right. It wasn't very good. It could have been better, etc. But you take that failing away from you failing to just that project wasn't done well or could have been done better. And put yourself in that position. And the ice, I think, really helps you learn that difference. It understands, you help understanding, am I cold, really? Or am I just uncomfortable right now? And you start to realize, I'm not cold. Like, I just don't want to be here. Why? Because I don't like being uncomfortable. That's all it is? Yeah. Fine, move over. I hate getting this review back. Why? Because they shit all over me. Why do I care about that? Oh, why? Because I guess I'm not very good. Why do you, and you start to realize, like, oh, I don't really care. In fact, good. This is good. Like Jocko says, good, right? This is a great opportunity because now, thank God, I get to make this thing better before the real world sees it. Yep. Fantastic, right? And it's it's still, like, I'm not perfect at it, but instead of going to, like, zero to ten on cry, it's like a three now. Yeah, yeah. You've gotten better at uh, coping and then uh, reframing it. Exactly. Or or the same thing, whatever happens to be, criticism about something I did other professionally or whatever else. His feedback, yeah, neutral. It's, it's exactly it's yeah. feedback. It's not self worth, right? Yeah. So that is not uh, you are not a stupid person. Like you just that was not done very well. Okay, great. Like you you shouldn't have your self worth attached to if a project went great. Uh, that wasn't the best painting you've ever done. Okay, fine. Or that person didn't enjoy. It. Great. Like that's not you. That doesn't mean you're a shitty person. Uh, or whatever other emotion you're feeling, right? So. That, I think, is the one thing that we need to get better at failing for, is understanding how we can attach those emotions or detach those emotions. And I think the ice is very, very good at helping us learn self like that. Yeah, um, it's a pretty powerful tool in itself, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I can't it's escape that, for sure, man. No. I mean, I was talking about this on our um, my show, uh, on our last episode of our second season. Life is about acceleration, not velocity. Mm. And what I mean by that is... If you are used to living on airplanes and in your car and traveling for the last 10 years, it's not hard, right? Like, no. do, you, do you feel like your lifestyle is hard? Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's like other people think it is. Right. They're like, how do you do that? How do you not blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know any that's other what you difference. Do, that's yeah. what you do, yeah. right? You're going at a, at a relatively constant velocity, right? So it's not difficult to do that. If you're used to working 65 hours a week and you're used to working every Saturday night, my friend Mark uh, is a chef, amazing chef. He works every Friday and every Saturday night. And I think I'm like, oh my God, I would kill myself if I had to work every Friday night. How does he do it? It's not hard for him because that's what he does, right? Yep. So the velocity you're moving is not difficult, which is this is exactly why when you're sitting on a, in a car, or you're on an airplane, and you're going 400 miles per hour, it still feels the same, right? Because you're moving at a constant velocity. Yeah, and you don't have a relative gauge. Exactly, yeah. right? Acceleration is a change in velocity. That could mean going faster or slower. It could mm-hmm. be like slowing down or speeding up. Yeah. Change in direction, something like that. Acceleration is what you feel in life. 
So if I were to go from my current lifestyle to your current lifestyle or verse, vice versa, we would be like, oh, my God, this is so hard. How does mm-hmm. he do this? Right? Because we feel that acceleration. Mm-hmm. And I think this really helps people because once we realize, okay, if I'm trying to make a lifestyle change, it's only difficult during that acceleration phase. But once I hit my new velocity, Gosh, damn velocity, yeah, it's easy now. Yeah. So just changing habits are just getting through that really tough acceleration phase. Now, some people like to kind of slowly work their way down. Some people like to rip the Band-Aid off and just go. Mm-hmm. I think there's merit in both approaches. Yep. If one you tried and it didn't work, go the other way. Cool. Yeah, everybody drives their car differently, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm more of a rip the bat- patch off guy. Like, let's just get it over with. Mm-hmm. But some people want a stepwise progression. Fine, either way. But you just have to keep reminding yourself or your clients. I know this is really hard. But hey, when you're, once you're used to brushing your teeth every day, it won't be hard to brush your teeth every day. Like, what? No, oh my God, it's so hard. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm making a joke as, like, this is what you hear with people trying to change their diet or their exercise, right? Like, oh, my God, it's so hard to eat vegetables every day. Well, it is now. But in six months, it won't be. In seven years, you'll, you won't believe you didn't, you didn't do it. Now, you'll forget that it even happened. Like, yeah. I can't believe I used to not eat vegetables every day or whatever yeah. it is. So just remind yourself that the change, the acceleration is the hard part. Um, my dad, you know, my family, my mom, they didn't ever watch TV. They worked, my dad worked six days a week, oftentimes seven days a week, 12 hours a day. My mom was doing the same thing, right? Raising us, doing other stuff. Uh, like, that was not hard for them because that's what they did for 10 years in a row. What's hard for them is all of a sudden they retire or something. And, and that's where my dad's struggling now. Yeah, Because right? he, right. he decelerated so much. He's mm-hmm. got nothing to do all day. His health is going to shit. He's gaining weight, right? His back's killing him because he's sitting there all day. Doesn't have stuff to do, all these things. So the deceleration killed my dad, right? Or he's really having a struggle, a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. And that's because of deceleration, right? So what we need to do with him is get him to accelerate a little bit more because I don't want him to be at that low velocity. Uh, yeah. Right? Which means I have to give him purpose to do things. It's like, why don't right. you go do this outside? Why don't you go get this project? Why don't you work on this project? Oh, yeah, it's a good idea. I'll go out and build a new bar and you know, get mm-hmm. great. Like, great. Didn't need to, but like he has purpose again now. Um, so like th- that's really what it's about. When, is that acceleration? So just keep that in mind. So this ties into optimization and adaptation. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> good. good man, you're a pro. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I like to think about those two things being in opposition. Either you're adapting or you're optimizing. There are times for both. We, though, at least need to have the consciousness and awareness of which we're trying to accomplish. That's my only point. So it's going to sound like I'm bagging on one or the other. Uh, I'm not. I want you, though, because some people don't even realize that but they're, say, trying to adapt at all times. Or they're trying to optimize at all times. And then they wonder why they're plateauing. Yeah. This is why. You can still keep doing that, but I want you to at least be aware that, okay, you're choosing this. That's the step I want to get to. So here's what I mean. I just had a student in my class yesterday, and uh, or a couple of days ago, and he's having all kinds of problems, uh, inflammation, kidney stuff, all kinds of issues. And I said, okay, when's uh, you know, tell me about your workouts, right? And he's been training basically the same way for the last twenty years, all right? Uh, four times a week for a couple of hours, trying to put on as much muscle as possible. So great. So what are you doing for recovery? And he outlines his, his optimal recovery strategy, his optimal nutrition. Everything's optimized, optimized, right? Doing the maximum. 
And I said, great, when's the last time you maybe didn't eat some protein for a week or took a week off? And he was like, what? Well, no, no, like the research says that you're optimizing protein, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. But when you're optimizing at all times, you're not adapting. And he was like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, right. So if you're constantly adapting, though, you're not optimizing. If you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to maximize recovery, you have to remember in this case, the physiological signals to adapt are stress. Right. So when you minimize stress, you minimize the signal to change. So optimizing your recovery blocks the physiological signal to adapt. We can't have these two things at the same time. And you could pick whatever example you want here. It all fits in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the same thing with meditation, whatever happens to be. If you know, for example, you have a 45-minute routine in the morning that puts you in the best possible shape for your day, that's optimization, right? That's good. And I, I want people to know that. And then I want people to take advantage of that sometimes. Yeah. Okay, look, I gotta, I'm going to wake up extra 20 minutes early. I'll do my cold shower. I'll meditate. I'll... I'll have my nootropic, I'll, I'll stretch and do a five-minute warm-up, and then I'm going to, whatever, okay, great, cool. I want you people to know what it takes for them to feel the best possible. Yeah. But then sometimes... You need somebody to come in with a bamboo stick while you're meditating. Exactly, right? <laughs> but then sometimes, I want them to know that and then not choose to do it on purpose. Because if you do that at all times, what's going to happen is you're going to fall into a pattern mm -hmm. where if anything in that list doesn't work all of a sudden you have a terrible day. And you become a complete victim. You are hamstrung by that optimization because if anything doesn't work, you have a terrible day. In addition, if you need all that, so say you need uh, 20 minutes and all those things to get your mind clear in the morning. If you do that every morning, you are blocking the ability to get your mind clear any, any sooner. Right? You need to learn to get better at that. So you need to now go, okay, I'll do 20 minutes. I feel great there. And now let me see if I can back it off to 18, back it off to 10, and then back it off to three, and eventually back it off to five, right? Get better. Challenge the system to get better. No, refocus faster. Mm -hmm. Refocus faster. Get better, right? And then you can still go 20 sometimes if you want to do. But there's some days that I have a very important meeting or have something really important to do, and I will optimize. I'll do everything. Like For me, that's training in the morning. It's all these things, right? And there's some days when I have that equally important stuff to do, and I will say, no, Andy, you're not going to get any of that shit, and you're still going to fucking perform. Still get it done. Mm -hmm. And you, when you have that power over yourself, you go, oh, okay, great. It, it's really, because when anything goes wrong and you, your flight gets delayed or your computer breaks, the internet goes down, you still go, yeah, okay. Like, I would have preferred to have that, but I will still execute today. That shit doesn't have power over you anymore. Yeah. And it feels amazing. In addition, you physiologically get better. You physiologically get better when you cause yourself to adapt a little bit. So don't always optimize your nutrition. Don't always optimize your hydration. Don't always optimize all that stuff. Sometimes you have to push the pace of adaptation. Do things in a less than perfect position. Do things when you are, like force your body to recover when you don't eat very much food. Yep. Force it to recover when you are overtrained and, and underslept. Yeah. yeah, like all that shit. Force yeah. it to recover and it will get better that Go way. Go drink the water. Yeah. <laughs> but um, how did you come up to, or come to this actual understanding? Because there's like, you know, so many different schools out there with like new age meditation. And sure. Like, and then like even in martial art, you'll, you'll get like the Wing Chun, like sort of flowy martial art. And then you get like, you know, punch in the face, nosebleed martial yeah, yeah. art and like, 
like how did you come to that sort of understanding where you want to like toggle back and forth to challenge the system? Well, I'd say it's, man, it's, it's a combination kind of like you. It's basic strength conditioning, right? So I come from that background too. This is classic periodization, right? This is all, this is the, their very basics of program design, which is you spend a part of your year going really, really, really hard and you don't feel great. Uh, your performance maybe goes down a little bit. You push the pace a little bit. When you back off though, you get a big response. Yeah, super, super compensation, compensation right? right? So then I started thinking, like, why doesn't that apply to everything else in my life? Mm. And turns out it does. That's exactly how so it works. you cross-pollinated this principle yeah. with everything And else. I just started applying it to other things and, and trying it in my house and, and trying it with food and trying it with everything else and realizing, like, this is a very universal principle. When I'm trying to push adaptation, it's not going to feel good, right? But... When I recover, I feel better. So, therefore, if you're trying to recover at all times, you got to be blocking adaptation. Right? And then yeah, I saw example of example after this. Um, coffee is a really good one, right? I, I get it. The huge percentage of the world loves coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. If you have to have coffee every single morning, and it has to be done in a in a prepared way, and you have to, you become what Laird constantly calls like you're too precious. <laughs> right like you're, you're liability you gotta have all this little shit going on like you're just not you're not very resilient and that transcends the rest of your life you become very like we talked about earlier you're no longer very resilient mm-hmm. and you need to have some amount of grit in your life where you say like yeah, yeah well i prefer that but i can still perform without it fine i mean you imagine layered on a big wave out there going oh hold on like i gotta have my afternoon like <laughs> i gotta get, no my like, latte he my sure he prefers to yeah. eat he'd prefer to have his stretch he'd prefer to do some mobilization of a shoulder before the weight but sometimes you gotta just right you gotta yeah, go you gotta execute <laughs> and you don't want to go to the end of the spectrum either where it's just like okay then i'm just not gonna do any of this stuff and uh you know i'm just gonna uh, no i'm no. just gonna grind and grit yeah and, yeah like, no break my body exactly down. Yeah. yeah so we don't want that either yeah so we want conscious awareness and this is why that word is in the book right that's the last word in the title is consciousness right and I just want people to see both those and then they can go, okay, today is going to be an optimizing day or this is going to be an optimizing week or month, whatever it is. Or no, you know what? Today, uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta choose suffering today because I'm going to get better in the long run because of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to choose suffering. Choose suffering. That's it, man. Yeah. You got to engineer it. You, you got to build it. And that's really important. You don't adapt if you don't suffer. Yeah, so you have this uh, like stiff shit gearing mechanism based on the situation, the context. You can always shift to the right amount of torque and yeah. speed, and you know, based on the the yeah. environment, right? Yep, you, know, you have very so unknown. More, you have much more resiliency. Mm-hmm. You can handle everything. You're going to be fine either way. And you do also have that consciousness of knowing how you feel best, and that is important. I like it when people know. Hey, this is I got. I do A, B, C, and D, and I am grooved. I'm in flow. I want people to know how to get into flow as fast as possible, right? But then sometimes to work on getting into flow faster, you need to not get into flow. Oh yeah, that's why I got the real part of flow. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty much the balance, right? It's yeah. basically like you know. Like, not always going to go to that perfect, like, I'm going to do this, this, this in the morning, yeah. and, you know, it's going to set me up for the day. Everybody talks about morning routines, sure. but, um, but it's just funny. Life is, life shit happens, right? Yep. And, you know, you got to be prepared for... Yeah, like, I think a, a good example I could give you this is, um, like, vitamin D, 
All right. So most people are aware. A lot of us are sufficient in vitamin D, right? Or insufficient, sorry. Uh, and that's because our lifestyles have changed so quickly, right? Yeah. We're not in the sun. So I get it. Okay, pretty clear. So you have two options here. You could optimize, which is take a bunch of vitamin D supplements, right? Cool. Or you could adapt, which is, no, I have low vitamin D because of my lifestyle. So my adaptation will be, I will fix my fucking lifestyle. That is optimization. Now, there's going to be some times when you go, hey, you know what? Like, I'm trying to build a company from scratch. I got a kid. I can't do that. So I will choose optimization right now to be better, healthier, or to be healthier, to improve my bone, all this stuff. So let me choose something right now. Cool, because of this this four-week block, I got this really crazy work schedule. I got to bear down and get work done. I got to shit. Cool. Okay, I'm all. But then, whenever that's settled or when that's done, I'm going to go back to adapting, and then we're going to get back outside. So the goal is to use these things how you see fit, not just one or the other. Because you can't just also be like, to hell with it. I'm not going to make money to help my company because I, I want to be outside for an hour and a half every day. Okay, well, that's not always going to work in your life either. And so I want you to be able to flip back and forth. Use yeah. them appropriately, and you understand when you're applying it. And then all of a sudden, you choose a vitamin D, and three weeks, four weeks, six months go by. You can catch yourself and go, oh, God, I planned to do that for a month. But you know what? I've been choosing optimization for five, six months now. I let that get away from me. It's time to choose suffering. Mm-hmm. It's time to go back. And that's an example I used because I, that, that was me. Okay. And I fixed that. And what I noticed is I, I have two dogs, two shepherd mixes, right? Some rescue puppies. And if you know anything about shepherds, they are extremely high energy. Yes. Very high intelligence. I can't just take them for a walk around the block in the morning. <laughs> That's just like, I'm going to come home to a torn up house. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're really emotionally intelligent. Um, like th- they have to have st- mental stimulation. They have to have a connection with me. If I'm taking them for a walk and my headphones are in or something, mm. it's not the same shit. They, they know that I'm not there. I'm checked right, out. If right. I'm on TV, kind of like petting them. It's analogous to kids. They are so much like a two year old kid. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. And they have to be physically exhausted. They got to get the, the, what my wife calls the craziness. Like, you got to get the crazy out of them. And they got to burn the crazy out, right? Every <laughs> day. Exercise them. Twice a day. Like, right? both exorcisms. Yes. <laughs> exercise, exorcism. And a walk doesn't work. I mean, they're working dogs. They, they, they want to run for eight hours a day. So, a 15 minute walk doesn't. So, they have to be run to exhaustion twice a day. And so, I started going, you know what? One of the, uh, problems we have is my wife works very hard. I work very hard. I come home sometimes, like uh, most mornings I'm up at 3.30, something like that. I teach till 7 p.m. Wow. So I don't have time to, and then I got to train myself. I got to make food, like all these things. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to come home at 9 p.m. on Friday and not have to go exercise the dogs. And so we were taking shortcuts. And it's like, okay, we'll do this. And so that wasn't working. And it's, it's kind of a, it takes a lot of time out of my day, two hours out of my day to exercise these damn dogs. I don't have that. But when I started realizing, you know what? I got this problem where I'm not outside enough. And then I got this problem where my dogs don't get enough exercise. So maybe I'll just make sure that every time I've got, I'll still take them out to exercise, but every time I can, I got five minutes, uh, 10 minutes, maybe I'll, I'll pop them on my, my wrist and we'll just, I'll just run for 10 minutes. Maybe it's one block around, and my shirt's going off, and my shirt's going off. Boom, I run around. Well, they end up getting three or four of those extra a day. That adds a lot, of, a lot up over the week, right? And I started noticing, I don't even know any of my neighbors. I don't know any of the streets. I know the street I live on, but I don't know any of the, the streets around me. I don't know the name of them. 
So, so I started noticing all these things started to fall in line. What I noticed is the dogs get more exercise. They behave better, right? They're less stressed on me. That means less likely for me to come home when something's torn up or ruined. Natasha's happier. We have more time to do stuff together because we're not focused on running to them. So we got to talk more. So she got less irritated at me like all the time because that's one of the hard things is I'm gone a lot, you know, and she always wants to spend more time. And I come, you know, like this yeah, is a common thing, yeah, right? Yeah, relationship. Our relationship got better. The dogs are happier. They're fitter. They're healthier. They're going to live longer now, which makes my, my wife happier. I get in an extra whatever exercise a day and don't have to take any more vitamin D. So by fixing my lifestyle, all these other things fell into place. And the other thing is what I found was those little runs almost always put me into flow. And I'll come back and be like, oh, shit, that's how I'm going to fix that problem. That's how I'm going to answer that thing. And a lot of times when you're writing, you'll sit at the computer for straight. hours and hours and hours, right? Yeah. And I'll spend an hour on one sentence. Boom. I go out for a 10-minute run. Guaranteed that thing hits me. And I'll sprint back. Sometimes I'll take my phone and I'll just stop in the middle of a run and just voice record the sentence and <laughs> yeah. I'll lose it. But I'll come back and it actually saves me time because I would have sat there for another hour getting the sentence right. But with taking that 15 or 20-minute break... I'll get the answer, come back, and I've actually netted gained me 40 minutes. So that happens constantly with that's me. That's cool, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, If you can say, okay, the vitamin D is the stopgap in this case, right? The supplement, the quick fix is the stopgap. But that's, you, you can't stop right there. you got to move with then to say, okay, no, let's find a way to help that be a signal for me to fix my lifestyle. Right, so you went away from optimization to adaptation. And then the, opt- and then the adaptation took care of the optimization. right. So now I'm like, okay, now it's better because I'm there. And then, of course, I get busy and I fall off and I get lazy. And okay, great. So I swing back and I'm not perfect mm-hmm. at all. So I fall off and I get tired. And I mean, I haven't exercised in three days. I feel awful, right? And I was totally planning on it yesterday and I just got way too busy. And I was supposed to be out of here at two o'clock and we we're here till 7 30. Just okay. I'm, I mean, I get it. Uh, anyone of you listen home, I hear it. It happens to me too. Um, but like, you just do the best you can. Every time it's a fight, right? You just keep throwing punches, keep biting down on the mouthpiece, and keep throwing punches. That's awesome. I like that uh, explanation. What? So we're gonna get science here, yeah? Because <laughs> um, I just saw your recent post on Instagram about uh, central nervous system fatigue. Oh yeah, and it's like a pet peeve of yours. And um, I mean, I've heard that you know being in the field for quite a bit too. Yeah. Um, so how's how is like you know what's interpreted as like muscle fatigue, but it's it's been called central nervous fatigue because like say a person can't replicate the same kind of action that they did the day before. Yes, and but then they blame it it's on the central nervous system as they recovered. Yet there's these aspects where we do feel burnt out. Yep. So what's the distinction on that? That's a really good question, and I don't think I could answer it. Oh, wow, man. So, because That's what I love about you, because you're just like, you don't get some bullshit answer. You just say, hey, I don't know that, Yeah, and we're I working mean, on it. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what I know with regard to the post and stuff, but um, I mean, I, it's really hard. We're still trying to figure out this whole self thing. And now when you start trying to marry self and consciousness into physiology and performance, we're not even remotely in the same stress. <laughs> yeah. So it becomes really difficult. Um, people try to tease some of these things out. They tease out mental fatigue uh, from choice, from grit, from central nervous system fatigue. 
and we're not even close to getting that all sorted out. Mm-hmm. And so what what I, I I try not to do this, but sometimes I just lose my temper a little bit. Um, it's mostly a semantical argument, which is the way to say like. I don't know if it really matters to practitioners too much. It's just like scientists fighting over words. Right. So, yeah, people like saying the same thing, but using right. different words. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's a, a lot of it is that. Uh, and so I'm like, I post that. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should have done that. I don't know if that helped anybody. Right? Like, okay, I showed everyone that I'm smarter than them, and I know different words than they do. But like, did that really help somebody? I'm like, ah. But anyway, it's too late now. It's up. But what what, what I get irritated about is, um, yes, high force movements or high skill movements have a heavy neurological component, no doubt. Um, but I don't think it's fair or I don't think it's helpful for people to think that, therefore, those movements are all neurologically based and there's no muscular consequence or there's no endocrinological consequence. There are. So when people say things like, I did a really heavy workout today, oh, my central nervous system is fatigued. Nope, it's not fatigued. It's unless you are breaking some sort of world record or really close to that level, which most of us are not. Central nervous system, which is your brain and your spinal cord and your brainstem, they're not not very fatigued. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at like David Goggins as an example. Like, yeah, right, right. Like, he's like, you think you're fatigued? That's forty percent in exactly. his mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a point there, right? And this is where the debate comes in. Then is like, well, maybe it was mental fatigue. Um, what's pretty clear is there is a peripheral fatigue at the nervous system, so the neuromuscular junction where the nerves connect to the muscle and make you contract. There, there is some fatigue that happens there, but that's peripheral, right? Not central. Okay. And uh, the muscles, the, the point I try to make is the muscles are fatigued as well. Yeah. It's not just a nervous system. So don't think that your nervous system is tired, but your muscles are perfectly fine. That's not the case. The muscle is fatigued as well. The hormone system is potentially fatigued as well, or not, depending on the thing. It's pretty hard to fatigue the, nerves, the, the endocrine system without injury or trauma. Um, but... So it's that. It's really, like I said, it's semantic. It's, it, there's a neural component to it, yes, but we can't simplify it and just be like, every time you do a hard workout, oh, it's the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of systems in the body, and you can't just give all the credit or blame to one of them. It doesn't make sense. Not with something that is as systemic as exercise is. It requires so many things, every th- part of the physiological system to work. So all blame and all credit goes to all parts, not one. I don't think it's helpful. I've stopped doing this, actually. I don't think it's helpful to teach students the different body systems because it already puts them in a framework of thinking in isolation. They're separate. It doesn't work like it's that. It's integrative, mm-hmm. obviously. So I don't teach the nervous system and I don't teach the muscle system. I teach movement. This is how the body moves. Okay, so the first thing that has to happen is the signal has to come from your brain and then it has to do this, right? And it has to go through the nerves. And the nerves have to get to the muscle and the muscle has to generate cellular energy. And that has to generate movement. And then the, the muscle has to pull on a tendon uh, or connective tissue. And that has to pull on bone. And that causes a bone to move. And then we have to figure in mechanics. Mechanics and biomechanics take into how the bones are moved in space. And uh, is it a long lever and where the resistance is? So I, I teach movement. I don't teach um, – and the reason we adapt is because there was a hormonal response that caused this to happen. And, and this is a cellular mechanism of signaling. And this is inflammation and oxidative stress. And this is why – Inflammation and oxidative stress are so important and so good for you, uh, unlike what most people think. Like another example of not understanding optimization adaptation. Inflammation and oxidation, this is critically important. 
like you would be a terrible human being and pathetic if you didn't have inflammation. You would die, first of all, and you would never adapt. So I teach that. I teach what happens when we eat and train and exercise. I don't teach systems. It does, I don't think it helps. I don't think it hurts people. They think of them in isolation, which is it's one big system. One system affects the other and vice versa. They're all playing off of each other. They're all adapting and moving and responding in every millisecond. So I think it's more helpful to teach it that way. How um, are you looking at other aspects of stressors in the environment? Because, like, we'll go into epigenetics. Yeah. And, like, the, we're not – we're not at the mercy of our genes. It's, you know, it's part of the story that they're, they're switched on with signals. So mm-hmm. um, are you looking at, speaking of the book Unplugged, yeah. we're getting these sort of artificial signals from like the blue light of our screens to yeah. fluorescent lighting, um, Bluetooth, all of the shit that's like hitting the cells. And, yeah. you know, they say it's, it's basically benign, like the people selling this stuff, right? But sure. Do you feel like that has an impact on the body? Well, you can see those two postcards on the wall right there. The first one up there that says twins. And then the couple one down on the right that says Ryan EPI. Mm-hmm. We have two We had two pretty large epigenetic studies. Um, but what we look at epigenetically is mostly exercise-based. So the first one, the twin study, was we had two models, I guess, twins. So these are identical. Yeah. Twins, so it's the same DNA. And one of them had been doing... Uh, um, Ironmans and marathons and stuff like that for 30 years and the other one hasn't exercised in 30 years which gives us a perfect scientific study right genes are are locked we, they have the same gene one of them exercised one of them didn't and we saw a huge difference in everything that we tested between the two twins um, even everything from muscle fiber type the trained twin was 90% type, type 1 slow twitch and the other guy was only like 40 or 50% so a massive variation. We, we tested everything. Genes, proteins, uh, strength, vertical jump, VO2 max, uh, blood cholesterol. I mean, we tested everything. Um, the other one we looked at was the difference between people who are trained and people who are untrained when they do a really heavy lifting session. But my uh, the, the other point is, so we, don't, we, we are an exercise physiology, like a movement nutrition lab. We don't do other environmental stressors like that. Okay. So I can't directly answer any of those things. Having said that, can you speculate? I think it's or pretty hypothesis? silly for us to think that those don't have anything going on. Um, I saw recently when the book first came out, actually, right after that, some technology company had come out where you can put a little thing, uh, just like a wireless transmitter in, the, in your house, and it will send a signal out that will keep all of your devices constantly at full charge. Wow. So no longer plugging your... Remote s- charging. Remote charging, right? Yeah. And you could just buy one of these, put this in your house, and everything in your house would be a constant full charge. And I remember seeing that thinking, like, that's not, that can't be good. Right? That cannot be good for us. I mean, we're electrical signals, biochemical electrical systems. Yes. Yeah. We have to be paying some consequence for some of these things. Um, there are no data to suggest it's harmful yet. But keep in mind, an omission of data is not data of omission. Right, evidence or uh, omission of, da- of evidence is not evidence of omission, which is a fancy way of saying just because we don't have evidence to suggest it's bad doesn't mean we have evidence to suggest it is safe. 
Those are, it just means there is no evidence yet. There's no evidence yet. It hasn't been studied yet, really. Right. There's no technology or studies done that. We don't even know what questions to, to ask yet. Yeah. That's the real thing, how to measure it, these types of things. But I, th- I think we are cl- delusional if we think that, that there's no consequence. Right, because there is something that's happening in nature and go out to nature in the ocean and we're like unplugged. Yeah. It's tangible, but I can't prove it. Yeah. It's very, very difficult uh, from a lot of levels to say. So how that affects you physiologically, psychologically, behaviorally, these are all questions for people that have specialties in those fields. But it's pretty clear there are some consequences. Um, I don't know if I can say, hey, the Wi-Fi is what's causing all the cancer or obesity. I'm not going to do that yet, but I mean, I would change my mind if I saw good evidence, but I think that's pretty silly to think that. But that doesn't mean that it's not doing something. Like right. there, there's some consequence to all this shit. Yeah, I mean, people had research about smoking, and then it was evident in many years. I mean, people knew, but they really knew, and then the laws came out. So it was like this is kind of right. like the new smoking, the smartphone, the addiction to that. But yeah. um, so now that we don't want people to freak people out, right? Like with all this information, I don't mind but. This goes back to like that power of our own yeah. uh, self and consciousness to to like know that information and like what to do about it. So like adapt to it, yeah, because it's gonna be around. There's not not changing, and then nope. there's optimizing. Yep. Yeah, I mean we have to. That's exactly right. That's why Brian, Phil, and I wrote the book. Is look, we can fight and we can bitch and we can whine, but it ain't going anywhere. Right. So. I think you better show up with infrastructure and scaffolding about how to deal with it because it's not going away. And that's what we tried to get across in that book is here are concepts. Like if you understand those, we have a bunch of them, but one of them is adapting versus optimizing. Then you can sit back and say, okay, great. Some days I'm going to choose to do this with technology. And then some days I'm going to choose to do this. But having that consciousness and awareness to make that choice and understanding what that does is really the point we're trying to make with the book. So, that's why we didn't, I mean, we could have, we thought about it and we were asked to, but we decided not to go through literally every training technology and, and go through them in detail and show the evidence and talk about pros and cons. And we're like, you know, we could do that, but we don't want to do that. I, I want to teach people ideas of thinking, systems of thinking. And then if you can learn to apply that as the things matter in your life, that was just a more impactful book for me. It made it shorter, um, a lot easier to comprehend, a lot easier for people to get through. So that's why we took that approach. Um, but yeah, like we have to start thinking about how we're going to deal with this technology for a ton of reasons that we haven't even gotten into like some of the more nefarious reasons like data collection, uh, owning your genome, uh, who's making profit off of what, things like that, accuracy that are behind some of these technologies. Um, the fact that they're very good technologies oftentimes, but they're terrible products. Um, the fact that they change the algorithms all the time they change how the software works and don't even tell you. They send wireless updates and what gave you a score of you're healthy today all of a sudden is not tomorrow or the opposite or you thought that you were sick and all of a sudden you're healthy. Um, so like, there's a lot of these problems and if we just keep following blindly, we're going to walk off a cliff. How can somebody use uh, these existing to- technologies um, mm. For let's say they have a goal or they want to accomplish something, they have these tools. Yeah. So what would be the best approach for let's say a heart rate monitor and HRV? Yeah. 
So I would say the, the, it's the exact same example that I gave with vitamin D. So use it for what it's good for, but the goal is to get past it. You, you want to use it as a tool to help you do something better. That's the real key. So things that technology, a heart rate monitor, HRV, tend to be good at. Accuracy is questionable oftentimes, but they tend to be good at awareness. They tend to be good at calibration. So, for example, I, I strap you on, man, um, uh, with a heart rate monitor, and I say, hey, okay, uh, what do you think is hard? You know, like, you, you do a workout, and you tell me if you think you're working hard. And some people will be at 95% of their VO2 max. We see this all the time in the lab, all the time. And we'll ask them, scale of 1 to 10, how hard are you working? And they'll say, oh, uh, four and a half, five. And I'm like, oh, really? Because you're at heart rate max. You're not even aware, or you're so uncalibrated, or you're, you're, you're lying to yourself, or you're lying to me. Mm. I can't coach you. If, in either, no matter what the answer is, there's communication breakdown here between you and yourself, or you and me. I can't coach you. I can't program for you when we're, on, when we're miscalibrated to each other. So we use technology like that to become calibrated with each other or with yourself. Very good. Awareness is a good piece too. Imagine you had a, a, a Fitbit on or a heart rate watch or something that told you how active you are. Or you had an app on your phone where you could take a picture of your food and it would automatically upload your calories, macronutrients, and all that stuff, right? All these technologies exist and they're not, they're not expensive. Mm-hmm. Some people, if you gave that to, and this has happened to some of my professional athletes, this, dude, this happens to my grad students, people getting graduate degrees in this field. And I make them do things like that. And I'll ask them then, okay, how many grams of protein are in that? How many calories do you think you just ate? And they're not even close to right. You know, they'll have a piece of, you know, have a plate full of stuff, and some of them will say, ah, oh, it's like 200 calories, and some are like, that's 1,200, and something there's 12 grams of protein, and something 85. Like, they're not even remotely close. They're all way miscalibrated. So it could be good for something like that, where you start to learn, you get calibrated to what six ounces really looks like. Mm. And whoa, that, that, that's what 200 calories looks like. Okay. Now, it doesn't matter that 200 calories or 300 calories. It's just you're getting roughly calibrated to what, oh, that was a hard day of training. Or, no, I just wasn't focused today. Um, you start to learn all those things. So it can be good for all of that stuff. Accountability, it mm-hmm. can be very good for, right? So, yeah, I was pretty active today, really. You walked a thousand steps today. Shit. Like, I, I, you can't, you, you, you're, especially if you're in a group. And that data goes off to a group thing, and I go, look, Tone, Tone made it 600 feet today. Like, hey, what do you do? We'll play video games all day, Tone? Uh, yeah. No, I, I worked out. And like, okay, well, now I can hold you accountable, right? So it can be good for all those things. And I would encourage you to use those things for those purposes. Yep. It's very helpful. But the key then is you got to go next step, which is can you then translate that back into self? And this is really what the, the point of the book like, is. And graduate in some sense. Yes. That's great. I, I like, to, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to say it. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, can you graduate to then saying, okay, great. Now, Tone, can you feel what those, can you feel what that activity feels like? Can you feel really when the consequences are when you've been three or four days since you've worked out? Can you start to feel how your mood changes or your focus or your sleep or whatever it is for you? Um, can you feel what it feels like when you have foods that don't settle well with you? Oh, can you feel what it feels like when you eat foods that spike your blood sugar and smash them back down? Oh, no, because th- those foods are not the same for every person. All right, so I, c- I can handle 
sugar and cookies and cupcakes and stuff, and my blood sugar doesn't change, right? Well, that's not true, but like some people like that, right? Sometimes, yeah. Some people, though, uh, a piece, a little bit of rice will slam them. And so we use technology to figure that out, but then we say, okay, can you start to feel it? That way, when you're out and about, when you're doing things, you can start to feel, oh, you know what? I'm not responding very well to this one, so I actually avoid this new food because I feel it. This is where we're trying to get athletes back to, and this is where you know Larry wrote in the book, too, that feeling is understanding. This is what we're trying to get at. Don't use the technology to tell you what's happening with your body. You cannot outsource your physiology. Mm. Use technology to help you learn yourself better. But don't use technology to run your life. Technology is a fantastic tool and a terrible taskmaster. And that's the big problem we have to get to. So use any of those technologies or any new ones you come up with for all those purposes, but keep going the next step. If you have an athlete or a client that is relying upon technology, what happens when that technology breaks or the battery dies? Um, Brian and I deal with this also all the time with special operations military people. They're not interested in heart rate monitors and HRVs because when they're downrange, they want the least amount of gear possible. And what happens when it breaks? It gets wet. Like, they're like, I'm not going to rely on something, though, that, mm. that, that could break, and all of a sudden I don't know what to do now. Like, I'm out. Like, they're not interested. It's life and death for them. Life and death. For other people, though, um, it's the same sort of idea. Like, use it to enhance self and, and to improve how you work in space throughout the world and empower you, not worse. Um, if you become reliant upon having to have a mirror in front of you to squat properly, how do you think you're going to squat when you've got to pick something up in the grocery store and that mirror's not there? Well, the only reason you're squatting is to improve performance or, or life for some reason, right? But if you're, if you're relying upon the technology, then you'll never develop the self-skill, which means you'll never actually use it in the environment or the arena that you're trying to get improvements in. So go the next step, which is to use the technology, in this case the mirror, to help somebody learn how to move so they feel how to move because self-mastery is identification plus self-correction. If you can't feel it and then also feel how to fix it immediately, you don't understand the movement. We see this all the time with professional athletes. A weightlifters are a good example where they'll, they'll you know, do a snatch or something, come off the platform and go, ah, like my right elbow just it flared out a little bit. Great. They know just what it felt like. And then they also know, okay, so next time i got to keep my trap tighter. Mm-hmm. Great. That shows an athlete who has self-movement. Uh, Michael Phelps is a great example of this. Right. Uh, he broke a world record in uh, London, maybe, 800 meter, 400 meter, something like that. And his goggles broke halfway through the race. What was broke? His goggles. Oh. So he's halfway through a race trying to break a world record in the Olympics, and his goggles broke. Wow. He finishes, hits the wall, hits the sensor, right? Looks up, sees he broke a world record. One gold takes the goggles off and smashes them in the pool. And the announcers are like, what the hell is he? Like, he's really pissed. Uh, I guess he, I mean, he just broke world record. Why? What? Like, <laughs> well, it came out later. He told, you know, said it broke halfway through. Well, I'm not much of a swimmer. But anyone that knows anything about swimming, first of all, winning a world record, breaking a world record is hard. Second of all, if you don't swim perfectly straight, your time is going to go up just exponentially, right? So he had to be able to not only swim without seeing, still win, and also swim perfectly straight. The only reason he could do that is because his coach, Bob Bowerman, or Bob Bowman, 
made him swim very often in the pool without goggles. Wow. And he always said, count your strokes. I want you to know where you're at in the pool. Feel the water. Feel what straight feels like. So if anything ever happens, we don't lose this opportunity, right? And so Phelps hit the wall. The goggles broke. He knew exactly where he was at in the pool. He knew how to get the wall. He knew how many strokes he had. He knew when to reach, when he was going to have to touch. And he was able to do that. And, I mean, imagine, now he's Phelps, so we don't feel bad. But imagine if that was some other person where that was their one time to ever medal. And they lost that opportunity because their goggles broke. Mm-hmm. Or they got that opportunity because they were self-reliant, not self-dependent, and they won a medal in the Olympics all because of that. That's power. Yeah, that's incredible. That's self-reliance. Yeah. So we'll f- wrap it up. Um, what advice do you have for people out there that want to self-actualize themselves go from information to wisdom but wisdom in action though like yeah where they see their sort of uh ideal self yeah and they don't know where to begin from there you know yeah well like i said earlier man i'm not perfect either these are things i work on every day too and i fail all the time and like gotta get back up and try again so the first thing i would say is um we're all like this, man. Like this is this is what we all do. Uh, but the other thing is, in the book, Tim Ferriss uh, wrote a section there about how to use technology. And one of the things he was really uh, he's really into it about was, he said, when you try to make a change, you want to make the least amount of changes possible, and use the least, not most, but least amount of technology. And so that's my advice is if you're trying to change something, just try to change one thing. And just tr- that's, it goes back to acceleration versus velocity, right? And use the least amount of change possible. Uh, use the least amount of technology. Whenever I have a new athlete or a new client and they're trying to change something, I want to keep it as close to their system as I possibly can and make the least amount of changes as I can that will have the biggest amount of impact. Um, with, and we almost never use technology. Right. Um, depending on what we need. If we need something, we'll, we'll do it. If we don't, we're not going to do it just because. So don't overcollect data. Don't just get everything because you can. Uh, know exactly what you're trying to do. Have a reason. Try it out. Make one change and see what happens. You run an experiment. Yeah. And, and be patient, man. Like, it, it, it'll work. You'll be fine. Yeah. Just be consistent. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, Dr. Andy. Yeah. Thank you for coming on Hangry and Horny, brother. Yeah, man. It's a real pleasure. That was awesome. It felt like it flew by. <laughs> yeah. I talk a lot, so it's easy. Oh, yeah. It's cool. Well, thank you so much, man. And um, where can people um, reach you or buy the book, Unplugged, all that stuff? So the book is called Unplugged, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. And it's up on Amazon, Unplugged, um, UnpluggedAthlete.com. Uh, or up Amazon, that's pretty easy to find. Uh, my social media is just at Dr. Andy Galpin, so Dr. Andy Galpin. Um, you can see all my my stuff on there. My website, just my name, AndyGalpin.com. Uh, I put a lot of videos from a lot of this type of stuff up there for free. Um, Which I t- reminds me that you have a Patreon account to. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. I'm the worst. <laughs> uh, plug in, unplugged, unplugged, yeah, plug. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, I take like uh, as many of my conference lectures, all these ideas, um, uh, my class material, 
all the lectures I use for my classes, and I um, I try to put those up on my on the Patreon account and and just give those away. So if, if you can contribute a buck or two, that's that's just awesome. Um, so you can find that uh, I think it's patreon.com forward slash Andy Galpin or something like that. You can Google. You're smart people. Uh, so yeah, there's probably a bunch of this stuff, but you get the idea. That's enough. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Cool, man. My pleasure. <laughs> cool. Wow, that was an awesome episode with Dr. Andy Galpin. I feel so honored and grateful that I can interact with these amazing professionals out there that are making a difference in this world. And Andy shared so much incredible information that we can basically apply in our life to become better human beings, kinder, and just get the most out of this tiny, limited time that we're here on this planet. So thank you, Dr. Andy Galpin. And I want to thank my sponsor, F-Bomb Nut Butters, for, you know, basically providing amazing fat butters, uh, nutritious nut butters, fat, uh, macadamia-based. They are amazing. Ross and Kara, just awesome people as well. And if you would like to... Um, order some just use the code word flow real f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l and that basically will give you a 20% off discount on your very first order of fat bomb nutrition nut butters so go to fatbomb.com or i like drop an fbomb.com and uh, there you can basically order um, the nut butters. They even have, I believe, uh, uh, salad dressing oils as well that are uh, olive oil and macadamia-based, avocado-based as well. So check them out. Um, and if you want to learn how to apply this information in the real world with other like-minded flow-minded human beings that really want to connect with others and basically play and experiment and execute and learn these things um, in the world, not in theory, but actually applying this uh, as a group. Um, check out magicflowbus.com. Our next event is on May 5th. 2018 that's Cinco de Mayo so if you're not down with partying with alcohol um, you know nothing against that that's fun every so while every so often but uh, this is a uh, event that a bunch of us are getting together in San Francisco California and essentially applying all these cool flow activities throughout a 12 hour plus day which includes uh amazing food usually uh you know paleo grass-fed keto um non-processed foods that just basically give us incredible energy and and uh, doesn't bog us down but we get to do things like breathing exercises to regulate our physiology and psychology or state of mind um, get into group mind or group flow which is an incredible experience in and of, in and of itself and uh, 
you know, yoga and get to try all different kinds of biotech technologies and even have a medically based type um, technologies where you're actually using or getting injected with uh, vitamins and minerals, things like that. So come check it out, magicflowbest.com. And thank you so much for supporting this uh, podcast, Hangry and Horny. We have a Patreon page, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash flow real, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L. And any donations helps us keep this show running and it's much appreciated. So thank you so much, my lovely human sexy animal listeners. And uh, go out there and uh, go kick butt and carpe diem. Much love. Peace.